Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. On today's show, we hear from a fire survivor who now helps others get through one of the most difficult aspects of recovery, insurance. That was one of the hardest things that we had to navigate in the entire wildfire loss, was just navigating that insurance claim. And we head up to the hills above Loveland to see how a new reservoir project is coming together. That's coming up. You're listening to KUNC's Colorado Edition. I'm Erin O'Toole. Today, we're going to look at the challenges facing the hundreds of families who lost everything in the Marshall Fire and who are now dealing with the complicated aftermath of putting their lives back together. But first, we're going to get an inside look at what it takes to construct a massive reservoir project. Before it flows through your kitchen faucet, water in the Colorado River Basin takes a long and winding journey. For a lot of homes on the northern Front Range, that journey will soon be getting another step. In the hills above Loveland, KUNC's Alex Hager went to watch how a new reservoir takes shape. We are standing at the bottom of the soon-to-be reservoir, and this place is a teeming construction site. There are trucks moving in every direction, trucks that I've never seen before, drilling and moving dirt and hauling rock away. It is a really busy site. There's a lot going on here. I was one of those kids who was really into trucks, and the Tonka-loving toddler in me was in awe at the bulldozers, dump trucks, and excavators so big they could dig the foundation of a house in just three scoops. Joe Donnelly is the project manager. To build this dam where you were hauling we're filling 100-ton trucks, and we need to haul a load of rock, place on the dam every two minutes, uh, five days a week, uh, for two and a half years. You can probably tell by now this build is huge. And as project engineer Jeremy Dudo says, it's a lot more than just digging a hole in the ground. Seeing it on plans and seeing pictures of it doesn't really do it justice until you're here standing at the bottom, looking up 350 feet to the top of the dam. 100 feet below where original ground was. Amid the bustle of enormous yellow trucks, we're gazing up past hard hats and piles of dirt, up to the tops of dusty red cliffs that will someday loom over the dam that creates this giant man-made lake. Up there, a perch by the edge provides a view of how far the reservoir will sprawl. Looking out over the chasm, you can understand why this project is so expensive. The reservoir here at Chimney Hollow is going to cost about $500 million. And so when you break that over the four-year construction span, it ends up being $340,000 a day, every day, for the next four years. Jeff Stela is a spokesman for Northern Water, the agency running this site. The project is taking more than 20 years to get permitted and built. Stela says it's needed for rapid growth in cities including Broomfield, Loveland, and Greeley. This is going to be a water source in northern Colorado in well into the 21st century. We're thinking generationally and decades down the road with this. Stela says the future is rife with uncertainty, and this reservoir is designed to store water as insurance for the dry times. But if you look farther upstream, Jen Pels with the conservation group Wild Earth Guardians says there's an even deeper uncertainty about how long the water will last. 
spending a bunch of money on a reservoir when you don't have the water to fill it is kind of silly. I heard someone have had a great quote around a refrigerator that's empty doesn't do a lot of good to solve, you know, someone's hunger crisis. Colorado is built on moving water around. In this state, about 80% of the water falls on the west side of the mountains. But about 80% of its people live on the east side. With more than two decades of drought straining the Colorado River, which provides so much of that water, some are pushing back on new infrastructure that could strain it even further. Ken Fusick is vice president of the Upper Colorado River Watershed Group. When is enough enough? When are we going to say, or is it every drop of water that is up here will go down to the front range. You can't continue to add population without providing them water. We will all recognize that. But where's that water going to come from? There's only so much. We are a finite resource. Fusick says straining that finite resource where it starts can cause real tangible harm, like algae blooms and threats to the economies that depend on water for recreation. And those same gripes are likely to be brought up against any future proposed reservoirs on the Front Range. As more people move to the area and demand more water, will they be able to get it? Again, Jeff Stela with Northern Water. If we're going to be able to um, exist and, and offer the, the same opportunities to our children and grandchildren on the Front Range, we should consider, and we're doing it here, capture the water when it's available so that we have flexibility in those years when we don't have it. But it'll be a while before Chimney Hollow has the chance to do that. Four more years of construction, three years of filling it with water, and unpredictable changes to the climate and drought stand between today and this water finding its way to Front Range faucets. Alex Hager, KUNC. That story is part of ongoing coverage of the Colorado River, produced and distributed by KUNC and supported by the Walton Family Foundation. Hundreds of families lost their homes and possessions in the Marshall Fire, and many are still dealing with the complicated aftermath of picking up the pieces and putting their lives together. The process looks different for each person affected by Colorado's most destructive fire. For those who were insured, working with their provider to file claims and compile detailed inventories of belongings has become a key part of the day-to-day after the fire. But not all residents with insurance have enough coverage to cover the costs of losing a home. The city of Louisville recently surveyed homeowners about their plans to rebuild. Around 500 responses came in, and of those, most said they were underinsured. And 60% of the respondents said they were so underinsured that they may not be able to rebuild at all. That was the case for Karen Remus, who lost her home in the 2003 Cedar Fire in San Diego and discovered her home was severely underinsured after it burned. Two years later, she began volunteering for United Policyholders, a national nonprofit that helps people navigate all kinds of insurance, including after natural disasters. We spoke with her last month about her work with survivors of the Marshall Fire. I want to get into the work that you do with United Policyholders in just a bit. But first, I would love to hear about your own experience surviving wildfire. As we mentioned, you lost your home in 2003 in the Cedar Fire. What were some of the biggest immediate challenges that you faced after that? Yeah, I mean, definitely, it was brutal. I I don't know how else to describe it candidly. I mean, a total wildfire loss. You know, we were a total loss. Our home, all belongings just went down. And candidly, one of the biggest challenges in the wake of it, obviously, there's the immediate trauma, 
you know, uh, that goes without saying, but just very quickly became um, apparent to us that we were underinsured. And truly, that was one of the biggest challenges, one of the hardest things that we had to navigate in the entire wildfire loss was just navigating that insurance claim. We had a brand new policy. We had just bought the house a few minutes, you know, minutes, try that again, a few months beforehand. So we had a new policy. Um, you know, we'd even brought the earthquake coverage. You know, we wanted to make sure we were fully covered and, um, and we were very dramatically underinsured. And, you know, just at, you know, in the wake of just navigating the trauma, the loss, I mean, I had two young children. My kids were two and seven trying to support our children through these losses. And then having to face this big insurance fight. You know, it was just brutal. It was one of the hardest aspects of navigating that loss, candidly. Well, let me ask you, what does it mean to be underinsured? How does this happen? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I mean, what it means is that the amount of coverage you have is not enough to replace or rebuild what you had, right? So quite simply, just the policy limits. How does it happen? That's a great question. I mean, I think we purchased our policy like most people purchase their policies. And in my experience now as a, you know, volunteer for, you know, since 2005, this is what I've encountered over and over and working on multiple, multiple wildfire um, disasters with United policyholders. You know, when we purchased our home, I contacted our insurance representative and, you know, they asked questions. They asked me questions like, you know, how many stories is the home? What kind of roof do you have? How many, you know, sometimes they'll ask like, how many windows do you have? You know, the typical, you know, you know, Q&A survey. And, you know, we answered them honestly. We answered them honestly. Um, they provided, you know, a declarations page like, oh, here's, you know, the coverage that we're going to write. Here's how much you pay. And you write a check. I mean, that's what I did. I mean, candidly, I relied on the expertise of my insurance professional. I mean, at that time, I certainly didn't have any um, insurance or construction expertise, you know, and, um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you go to the dentist. I don't ask the dentist, like, are you sure you're filling that cavity properly? <laughs> you know, I, you rely on the expertise of the professionals you do business with. And so it came as a real shocker to us. You know, we had, like I said, a brand new policy. You know, I'd answered those questions honestly and completely. And, and yet we were underinsured. I was just going to say, you weren't trying to get, you know, pay the lowest possible premium or anything like that. I mean, nobody could even make that argument with us. We bought the earthquake policy, which, you know, those are actually much more affordable now. But back in 2003, they were very expensive. We were trying to do everything we could to be properly covered. And I, in my experience, most people are. For most people, their home is their largest asset. You know, that certainly was true for us. And so we were trying to do everything to ensure that if something, you know, untoward happened, we would have proper coverage and we would be able to repair or rebuild. Now, I understand after you lost your home in that 2003 fire, you were connected with United policyholders at that time. How did they help you? Oh, my goodness. United policyholders made all the difference. I mean, it was such a hard experience, but, you know, dealing with the insurance company, but United policyholders truly 
gave me the information, the resources I needed to be able to navigate that claim. I mean, it's hard to describe to people who haven't been through it, Erin, and I wouldn't have, I would never have suspected this. I mean, candidly, if you'd asked me before my home burned down, like, oh, you know, you have a total loss in a natural disaster. Um, I, you know, what do you think is going to happen after that? You know, there's no issue of fraud, right? It's a natural disaster. I would have thought like, oh, you know, your insurance company just writes you a check and then you proceed to rebuild. I mean, that's what I would have anticipated, especially in a total loss as we had. That's not what happens. And it's a long process. It's very foreign in terms of just, you know, there's a lot of lingo, ACV, RCV, ALE. You know, what do these things mean? I certainly didn't then. I do now. <laughs> but what, but you know, you know how I learned what those things meant? United policyholders. They really helped me, provided resources again. They for wildfire survivors, to anybody who listens to this piece that it has it have, has been affected by the Marshall Fire Survivor or knows somebody who's been affected by the Marshall Fire Survivor. All of United Policyholders' resources, and there are a lot of them, are free. It's a nonprofit charity. And I just, the website is www.uphelp.org. And I just cannot stress to people enough to go check it out. It's just really invaluable. You know, one thing that always strikes me after there is a catastrophic wildfire and we talk to people who've been impacted that it is really this double gut punch of you know losing perhaps everything and then having to deal with insurance um i know since 2005 you've been volunteering with united policyholders uh, to help other survivors what are some of the biggest issues right now that marshall fire survivors are facing yeah, you know, you're hitting it, you know, right on there, Aaron. And, you know, we often refer to this as like twice burned. And after our fire, my neighbors and I, you know, first burned by the fire. And then we felt secondly burned by the insurance company, you know, in terms of having to fight these issues out, you know, under insurance. There are other challenges that people can face, you know, lowballing, but the under insurance is huge. Candidly, I mean, I was on the phone with a Marshall Fire survivor just on Friday. I mean, this woman just lost her home just a month ago. She is eight months pregnant, for the record. She is dramatically underinsured. And she was telling me, like, neighbor after neighbor after neighbor that she's talking to is also underinsured. Not only is she underinsured, but she told me she had called her insurance company rep before the fire to ask about getting more coverage. It was told she didn't need it, that she had enough coverage. She's dramatically underinsured. She's about to have a baby. And now this lady is trying to recover from the trauma of this fire. And now, how is she going to rebuild her home? This woman should be thinking about the upcoming birth of this baby, taking care of herself. And this is what this lady's contending with. And candidly, I, I mean, Erin is just like, you know, in all of these fires, fire after fire that I volunteered with, you know, United Policyholders as a volunteer, this underinsurance, it's like the same bad record that keeps playing over and over and over again. I mean, you know, 2010 Four Mile Canyon fire, you know, in a survey of those, four, those fire survivors, 64% reported being underinsured. 
You know, if we look at a survey conducted of 2012 High Park and Woodland Heights fire survivors, 54% reported being underinsured. You know, I'm frustrated that regulators and elected officials alike have not resolved this issue for their constituents who are relying on an insurance policy they paid for to recover and rebuild. That's the first part of our conversation with Karen Remus, who is a volunteer with the national nonprofit United Policyholders. We'll continue after a short break. You're listening to Colorado Edition from KUNC. We're talking with Karen Remus, a survivor of the 2003 Cedar Fire in San Diego, who is volunteering to help survivors of the Marshall Fire navigate the complicated insurance process. She is with United Policyholders, a national nonprofit that helps people navigate all kinds of insurance, including after natural disasters. Given these claim status surveys that United Policyholders conduct that find most people are reporting that they're underinsured. I'm wondering how you help people, you know, fix this issue. I mean, clearly, well before the Marshall Fire, fire survivors have been struggling to get help and recover. So what kind of advice do you give to survivors uh, right now going through the same type of insurance issues that you did? You know, I would say first and foremost, under insurance, when we're talking about it on a case-by-case basis, right? On a case-by-case basis, which is what you're asking about, it's not a one-size-fits-all. So it's hard to say like, oh, across the board, here's how you handle it. It's very much a case-by-case basis. You know, what were the specific, um, you know, facts of that, of their situation? You know, how far are they underinsured? The first and best piece of advice I would offer is to go to the United Policyholders website. There's an entire section of the website devoted to underinsurance. And I would say start there. Also, United Policyholders is conducting educational online meetings. They call them, it's part of their roadmap to recovery um, uh, resourcing. And, you know, as part of that, they undoubtedly will have a meeting devoted exclusively to underinsurance. It's such, you know, right now they're in the beginning portion of this series, you know, how to read your, you know, your insurance policy, you know, how to document your claim. But I would encourage people to be um, attuned for that upcoming um, resourcing, you know, in terms of those online meetings, because it really is very much a case by case. But I mean, at a systemic level, so that's case by case, right? At a systemic level, I, I mean, I encourage, you know, Marshall Fire survivors and supporters to reach out to their elected officials and regulators and say to them, we need help at a systemic level. You know, it's a lot to ask these fire survivors one by one to individually fight this out case by case. You know, they're trying to find rental housing. They're trying to get their debris, um, you know, removed. They're trying to um, start to um, inventory their personal property. They're trying, you know, there's the to-do list for fire survivors is extremely long. So I would encourage anybody, um, you know, just the community at large to say, hey, our elected officials, our state senators, our state assembly people, our regulators, please address this. Yes, it sounds like lawmakers are going to debate taking some action on one aspect of insurance, um, but it would be interesting to see if they will talk about actually reforming 
the whole process of, you know, underwriting your insurance policy, how much do you need? How about just saying for people who are underinsured, you know, I, I, I take, the, for example, the Marshall Fire survivor I just spoke with, she called and asked to, to increase her limits for people, you know what I'm saying? That is somebody, you know, somebody like that should be made whole right now. She shouldn't have to be fighting this out. You know what I'm saying? Tooth and nail. She's anticipating the birth of her child. And she called and asked for increased limits and was told she didn't need them. Okay. So I think a, a regulator could say, hey, for people who fall at, at a minimum, at a minimum in that type of category, insurance companies need to stand up and stand behind the promises they made, you know, because the promise is peace of mind. That's what they are selling. They're selling peace of mind. And so stand behind that, make these people whole. Let's move on. I imagine you've connected with a lot of survivors. I'm wondering, uh, what is their reaction to being helped by someone who has actually gone through what they are going through? You know, I, you know, sometimes we describe it as it's, it's the club you never wanted to join, right? You never wanted to be a part of this club. And I think for um, wildfire survivors, I think just to have that um, sympathetic ear and especially talking to somebody who's gone through it and come out the other side is, can be very comforting. Candidly, when I'm, I'm speaking with wildfire survivors, I really try to listen more than I talk candidly. Um, and what I really, you know, of course, I'm trying to listen to what's happening in their particular circumstance. But I think one of the biggest things that previous wildfire survivors can bring is, is hope, you know, practical tips, of course, but just, you know, hope, you know, there's an end point. And, you know, because we've been through it before, and we've walked that journey, I think it just gives us a lot of I want to use the word credibility. I'm not sure if that's exactly right, but, you know, they know that we've walked that path, you know, and I think it's one of the most important things that United policyholders does is they bring together, they have a core of 150, over 150 previous wildfire survivor volunteers like myself who, you know, are available to listen, to talk and to say like, oh, hey, I was also uninsured. Here's some things or I also encountered this other challenge, you know, whatever it is, or, you know, oh, my children also had some difficulty at this time. This is how we navigated it. It can be personal, it can be insurance, and just bring that, you know, compassion and that firsthand experience. Right. Well, and you mentioned bringing some longer term hope to people. Let me ask you how you're doing now. It's been almost 19 years since your fire. Do you feel the recovery has been completed? I absolutely do. But, you know, it definitely took time. You know, it really did. And, you know, I, I still remember, you know, in those, and especially in that first year and it, those, that first six months to first one year, which was really, you know, when you're just in it knee deep in the insurance, you know, the rebuild, but, you know, the insurance drives the rebuild. So, you know, it's hard to even get to the rebuild portion until you've resolved the insurance issues candidly. And I remember just, I was exhausted. You know, I had these two young children. I had a job. My husband had a job, you know, dealing with all this. And I remember my best friend at one point, I was just, I think I was just laying with my eyes closed on the couch. I was just out of any amount of energy. And she goes, Karen, she goes, 
someday she goes, just remember this. She goes, hold on. She goes, you're going to be sitting in the kitchen of your rebuilt home, looking into your beautiful backyard. And this is going to be over. And Aaron, right now, you know, I'm with you right now by telephone and I'm sitting in my kitchen of my rebuilt home, looking into my beautiful backyard and it's over, you know, and it's, I'm lucky it's been over for quite some time, but, you know, just even thinking back to those moments, it was just, you know, it's, it's such an overwhelming loss, every amount of comfort items, you know, like, you know, you lose your personal history, you know, our entire personal history was wiped out. You know, it was a traumatic loss, particularly for the children navigating that plus all this insurance on top, which was so stressful, you know, and, you know, so it's over, but I feel for those who are starting this journey right now. And I think it's, you can hear the passion in my voice when I speak about things on the insurance front. And I think it's because I, I get mad candidly and I get frustrated that people who've already been traumatized have to face that on top of it. Do you know what I'm saying? Here, it should be, oh, you bought your policy. Here's your check. And, you know, how else may we be of service to you in this time of need? Karen Remus is a survivor of the 2003 Cedar Fire in San Diego, and she is also a volunteer for United Policyholders, a national nonprofit that helps people navigate all kinds of insurance issues. Karen, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you for having me, Erin. That's our show for today. I'd like to pause and take a moment here to say a huge thank you to Colorado Edition producers Tess Novotny and Henry Zimmerman for their incredible contributions to the show. Today is their last day at KUNC as they head out on new adventures. Tess and Henry are truly the people responsible for some of the show's most insightful and memorable conversations. If you've heard something that really struck a chord with you, it is because of their work. They've helped Colorado Edition grow and evolve so much, uh, especially over the last year when Tess started. Henry has been here since we launched in 2019 and has had an unmistakable impact on the sound and the editorial direction of the show. I'm Erin O'Toole. Thank you so much for listening. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC.